Hello, folks, and welcome to another edition of the A to Z Sports Big Orange Podcast. I am Charlie Burris, and I'm here with my co-host and A to Z Sports Tennessee writer, Zach Reagan. Wherever you listen throughout the world, we thank you so much for listening to us. Zach and I are talking everything balls every week here on the Big Orange Podcast. And if that sounds good to you, make sure you go over to iTunes, Spotify, wherever fine podcasts are sold, and subscribe to the A to Z Sports Podcast feed of your choice. And subscribe because this podcast will pop up there every single week. And uh, we'll be dropping every episode. Ideally, if the schedule continues, every single Thursday morning, you'll be able to find that in that podcast feed. Also, make sure to follow us on social medias. I'm at Charlie underscore Burris on Twitter. At Zach TNT is Zach over there. And then at A to Z Sports on Twitter and Instagram. Facebook.com slash A to Z Sports Nashville. And then you won't miss a thing, including Zach's great articles. Uh, And let's bring him in. Zach, how are you, sir? Great. Ready to talk some uh, Tennessee. I got to make sure I, I don't miss we uh, a chance to pay some bills here. Today's podcast is presented by TennesseeTickets.com, the place you should trust with any of your ticket purchases, Vols, home and away games, concerts at your favorite venues, anything and everything, all with zero hidden fees at checkout. And unlike the other sites that like to hit you up at every single turn for more cash, uh, you can save an additional $10 off of every ticket purchase with the promo code AZ10, AZ10 there. That's TennesseeTickets.com, AZ10 is your promo code. And let's get right down to it. Today we're going to talk, obviously, Tennessee sports, a little football, a little basketball. And we'll start off with uh, some interesting news out of ESPN, uh, the monolith that, as every Tennessee fan knows, the ESPN hates Tennessee. ESPN hates Tennessee fans. They think... Uh, what what was it that Chris Fowler said? Uh, the trailer it's a trailer park frenzy over here in Knoxville, according to ESPN. They're just insulting. They hate UT, uh, but they think that Tennessee might be a top twenty five team this coming season, according to their football power index rankings. Uh, the very early preseason rankings, Tennessee is your number nineteen team in football. Zach, does this mean anything to you? Not too much we've seen this before um this is kind of the cycle that tennessee goes through so we're at that point where uh hope is on the rise and you know what usually comes next maybe this time's different but we've seen this before certainly tennessee has been a a preseason top 25 team before sometimes it works out sometimes it doesn't seems like that's (laughs) that's usually the case with preseason rankings i can bring in a little bit of context here and I was actually surprised to see this. I didn't really remember this from a year ago, actually, February a year ago. Uh, do, do you know this, Zach? Do you know where Tennessee was ranked a year ago in the FPI rankings? I do not remember. I'm sure I probably wrote about it, and I've already erased it. I, I mean, I think I probably tweeted about it. I probably saw it. Um, but I was shocked to see still Tennessee was number 15. Oh. In the preseason FPI last year. I, I think I do remember that now, and I I don't know why they would have put them there after, you know, five and seven and some tough losses at the end of the year. <laughs> it is a little odd, and uh, it, it was strange to see that, but it is true nonetheless. You can go look it up on, on ESPN. It's, it's right there. And to give it even more context here, let's see exactly what ESPN says about their own uh, rankings and what the criteria here is. It's football power index. Uh, did they... Oh, I crap, I had it open. I don't have it anymore. Do you know exactly what the criteria here is? Because it's all... Com- this is computer generated. This is not voted upon by human beings. Um, but I know it, it's some amalgamation of returning... Uh, of you, the production that you have mixed with uh, the chance that you'll win out from the particular point, which I guess at this point is all 12 games. Um, yeah, it's pretty much just a, a formula. It's not supposed to be any human opinion yeah. to it at all. So it's supposed to be scientific, I, though I you know, wonder how scientific <laughs> it is yeah. if they had Tennessee Quote 15th unquote. last year. 
And then they, uh, you know, they have uh, they have LSU at number twelve, and I know they're losing a lot, but you know, I still that should still be a top ten team. They still have plenty of talent. That seems like a serious drop. Here, this is what I was looking for. This is uh, the football power index is a measure of team strength that is meant to be the best predictor of a team's performance going forward for the rest of the season. FPI represents how many points above or below average a team is. Projected results are based on 10,000 simulations of the rest of the season using FPI results to date and the remaining schedule. Ratings and projections update daily. So, uh, for whatever reason, ESPN's FBI actually thinks less of Tennessee this year. I mean, people people can get excited <laughs> that they thought Tennessee was going to be 15th a year ago, and, and everybody sees where we end up. I, I do think uh, another measure that I actually like a lot more, this one does have uh, some human intervention in it, is Bill Connolly's S&P Plus, or SP Plus, however, whatever it's called, technically. Um so Bill Connolly, if you don't know, ESPN staff writer, he was at SB Nation for a long time. He's he's major stats guy, stats nerd, um, and he throws up his his rankings in the S and P plus, uh, which he he has an offensive rating, a defensive rating, combines those together for projected S and P plus. And Tennessee for him uh, is number nineteen there, where last season Tennessee was number twenty six. And I would say, all things considered. 26 really kind of hit the nail on the head as far as Tennessee goes. Cause I would say when Tennessee finished eight or uh, whatever it was seven and five last season, they would have been right there probably 25 to 35, right? If, yeah, if sure. rankings went that high. Yeah. I mean, they were just outside. I can't remember in the final rankings if they had any votes or not, but either way they were, they were playing like a fringe top 25 team. You know, you take those, crazy losses to Georgia State and BYU out and yeah they're they probably finished the season 20 to 25th somewhere in that range so the SP plus takes into uh takes into account three primary factors according to Bill Connolly he says it is returning production which we're going to talk about here in in just a minute returning production recent recruiting and recent history although uh, let's see what he says. While last year's SP plus ratings are taken into account with the returning production estimates above, I found that involving previous year's performances as well gives us a nice way of estimating overall program health. That's interesting. Uh, it stands to reason that a team that has played well for one year is less likely to duplicate that effort than a team that has been good for years on end. Okay. Well, that makes sense. I, I guess it's it's almost a stability rating, that that third criteria, which Tennessee uh, doesn't have a whole lot of. <laughs> but uh, he does, let's see, he gave Tennessee's offense a 29.5 rating um, and then a 14.8 for defense for a an overall score, score of 14.7. Number one in his SP Plus rankings is Alabama. Ohio State at two, Clemson at three, Georgia at four, Penn State at five. And it, you know, we can talk circles around this all day, but largely, it, to me, this roster is probably going to be decently similar to this last year. Ideally, these young guys will be getting better. I think it still comes down to the coaches for the most part and sort of really that that stability rating of sorts, the, the previous results. I think that is really a, a good way of looking at it um, because I think you're seeing the evolution of Jeremy Pruitt and where he's going. And I think his, if he can keep evolving, keep getting better, that could be the difference for Tennessee. Yeah. I think the, the defense could be a, a strength, you know, with, with I know they're losing Batuli at linebacker, but you got Toto that has stepped up and is really playing well. I think, having the same defensive coordinator and the same offensive coordinator in back-to-back -back years for the first time in a while will help with that stability because that's been part of the reason they haven't had stability is because it's just been so many different moving parts on the coaching staff. So they're kind of finding their identity. You know, they, they've lost, they've lost some key parts. They lost a lot of production at wide receiver. I know that'll, that that's hard to replace because you don't know how players will step up. 
But, you know, I, I see some stability starting to be there as far with Ansley and Chaney at the coordinator positions. I think that's huge. I think – I know quarterback, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about it all offseason. That's that's really going to be the key to next year is does Darren Tano take a step forward under Chaney in, you know, when he finally has a coordinator for the second straight year or is it Bailey, you know? that that's that's going to play a big part in it too well you see in a lot of predictions the returning quarterbacks are valued extremely highly um because that's that's kind of the sport that college football has become if you have a great quarterback under center your team's probably going to be pretty good if nothing else um and i mean just to look at at lsu i i don't want to say they were a one-man team they certainly weren't they had clyde edwards hilaire and some good receivers and a Decent defense. Defense was not ultimately at the end of the day. That team was carried by the offense. But, um, you know, that that just is what it is. If you can get a transcendent guy under center, you're going to have a great team. Uh, and so that's weighed really heavily. And maybe that's why Tennessee was so high in FBI last year <laughs> and not as high uh, with, with Bill Connolly. And now that Bill Connolly has seen, oh, you've gotten some results out of, out of Jer- uh, Jared Carantano. Maybe he he's thinking a little bit higher of Tennessee. They've moved up seven spots from where they were in his preseason last year. I I mean, I agree to me at the end of the day, that is the, the biggest thing is what can you get out of that quarterback position? Obviously though, those, uh, those losses at wide receiver are, are, are bad. And, and let's just get, get to that with the, uh, the returning production. This was another article from ESPN. Um, this was just a ranking of, Teams with returning production. This is just stats based to just how much production you have coming back. Uh, the the number one team. If are you looking at this, Zach? I've got the uh, SEC teams here. Just the SEC. Okay. Who who has the most returning talent in the SEC this season? Like Texas A and M is they're they're number sixteen overall, and uh, Kentucky oddly enough is second at twenty five. Interesting. Well, Tennessee clocks in at 50 overall. Is that third or that is fourth fifth. in the SEC? Fifth. fifth. Oh. Oh, I see, Texas A&M, uh, Kentucky, Ole South Carolina, Ole Miss. Yeah. Yep, I see that. Um, and just to, to break that down even further, 68% of production coming back on the offensive side of the ball, 69%. Nice coming back on, on defense. Um, still, I, I stand by, you can have all of the returning power that you want and defense, defense can win championships, make no mistake about it. If you have a a great defense and Tennessee very well might, that is something that's really been getting talked up. Uh, people did actually take notice this last season of, of how powerful well powerful that might be a little bit of a strong word for Tennessee's defense but how how good they were kind of despite the players that they had I guess you could put it more that way um but it's still the offense you, you can't win without scoring points and and so uh when when you see that breakdown how encouraged are you by what's returning for Tennessee Zach I kind of thought they were, should have been a little higher it seems like their wide receivers made them take a hit specifically the way the wide receivers were uh, weighted they were weighted a lot heavier than running backs, which I get, but they're also, I think, weighted heavier than the offensive line, which really surprised me because Tennessee should have, I don't know if it'll be the best offensive line in the conference next year, but certainly as talented as anybody. So, and defensively, you lose your linebacker and Nigel Warrior. Um, other than that, they you know, they have a lot returning. I, I felt like they should have been higher or would have been higher than 50th. That surprised me. Yeah, I think you have some guys that are flying under the radar to a certain extent, or at least college football at large has not maybe known their name because Tennessee hasn't been relevant. But a guy like Henry Toto coming up, that's going to be right there in the middle of your defense, probably the, the future of his career is leading that defense. I mean, being the guy, um, that's really exciting to me. You... The defensive line probably needs needs work, but yeah, you got a lot returning on that defense, and a defense that was probably better than it should have been 
last year. Uh, and and like you were saying, the thing that I would probably touch on the most is the offensive line because so much can start at the offensive line. It can change your entire team just completely. It can make your quarterback better than he actually is. It can make your running backs better than they actually are. And from there, if they enhance the offense and the offense does well, that enhances the defense because the defense doesn't have to be on the field for as long. Or if the defense does have to come onto the field uh, you know, the offense at least getting 20 yards uh, on, on every drive, even if they punt, flipping the field is huge. Uh, and, and they can just do so much for you. And Tennessee, I mean, you're not lying when you say this should be, should I want to put like big asterisks by that because this is Tennessee, <laughs> should be the best offensive line in the SEC this I mean, coming season. When was season. the last time Tennessee's offensive line was a strength? What, 2012? Yeah. I mean, it's it's been a long time. It's, I mean, it's not only not been a strength; it's been the biggest weakness on the team at times. This is crazy that it's even talked about as a strength. I was wondering if we'd ever see these days again. And, and to think, some of the guys that'll be working behind that that offensive line or in tandem with that that offensive line coming up, it's pretty exciting. Specifically, you start with to me, Eric Gray behind a powerful offensive line, it, it seemed like he just really had not just pretty good vision, but his cuts were so intentional and so fast last year when he really got going. I mean, my gosh, that kid could burn. And he, I, I got to assume, he's going to be number one, right? He's. I mean, do they let Chandler have the, uh, the number one spot going out of fall, maybe? Like, he's the ceremonious number one. But, I mean, I think Eric Gray's the guy. The way he closed the season, yeah. he's electric. He's, he's better than Chandler. Chandler's good. Chandler has been productive, but Gray is the future there. I really wish Chandler would, would really turn into, and he's had a couple of flashes of this, but not an, enough, turn into a more multi-purpose guy. He's well, what hold him back there is he is short, and that is what it is. You know, you can't really, <laughs> not going to go out there wearing platform shoes or anything. Um, but that that's what I would like to see get him more in on, on screen passes into rounds. He's he's got serious speed, but at the end of the day, I think about that who is the guy on that offense that I would want to see running an end around? Well, it's Eric Gray, he has that that burning speed. Um, but a, another huge thing is, yes, you're, you're replacing guys like Juwan Jennings, like Marquez Callaway, but you have a, you know, a, a few good options in, in the wings, even there and Josh Palmer, uh, who, who else is coming back? Obviously he, he's the one that comes to mind. Ramel Keaton had some yeah. really nice. Keaton uh, came on there towards season. the end. Yeah. Yeah. I think some uh, of the freshmen might get a legit shot to mm -hmm. make an impact. I mean, Wadman, crazy athletic. I really, really like Jalen Hyatt. Um, he's so fast. He runs a 4-3-1, I think. I mean, I think that kid has a chance to be special. He was really overlooked during the recruiting cycle. It's something T. Martin talked about at the recruiting celebration. South Carolina didn't even offer him. He ended up being a four-star kid. He, camp he camped with South Carolina. They still didn't offer him, and he's – Grew up 30 minutes from Columbia. So I think Muschamp messed up on that one. But uh, I think he has a chance to make an impact early. Yeah, and and past that, I do look the the tight ends who... Austin um, Pope. Yeah, it, it would be Austin Pope pretty much who... He's been okay. Ja Jackson Lowe, maybe... I uh, most most of those guys, you know, Jacob Horn, another kid, six six, two forty one. You know, you got guys with size, but can they actually be uh, effective? I don't know because Dominic Wood Anderson was that guy, but um, I don't know. He just didn't get really utilized. I mean, no, he was not a enough. talented guy. And Cheney, I really thought, I don't know, maybe Cheney will use his tight ends more in twenty twenty. But I was surprised he didn't use him more. And maybe that was yep. because of the quarterback situation. I don't know. Maybe, and that that was probably to me the most surprising thing with with that offense, besides just in general how how bad it was at times. Um, but just it, it it's really an, an offense that to me is it's more NFL style, more pro style 
Um, and, and just it can be so effective when you see it in the NFL. Teams that have a great tight end. I mean, Marcus Mariota with the Titans made his living throwing to Delaney Walker. Delaney Walker, on how many occasions, saved Marcus Mariota from looking awful. <laughs> you know, yeah. like a, a great tight end in an offense like this can can change everything. And and it seemed like Wood Anderson could have been that that guy, but he just never. I, I don't I don't know if it was the play calling or Jared Garantano or what yeah, it might Cheney, have been, but he never really did break through. You know, Cheney used Michael Rivera quite a bit in his first mm-hmm. stint at Tennessee, so it it is it was very odd to me because I felt like that was a match made in heaven last year, and it just never panned out. You would have thought so, but uh, th- otherwise, just looking at at other positions, linebacker, y- you should well, well. And this is moving to the other side of the ball. We already talked about the offensive line. Offensive line should be good. Uh, at, at linebacker, uh, th- there are some guys that you want to see more out of. Um, JJ Peterson maybe. should should be the guy, but that's that's where I was going. JJ Peterson, where's he been? I mean, yeah, and, is he even still on campus? I mean, I know yeah, he, he is, came with. So much hype. Yeah. I saw somebody tweet his uh, a commitment video out the other day, yesterday maybe, and I remember how big of a deal that was that day when he committed and everybody's so excited and just, you know, he barely got the campus on time or he was, he was late getting the campus, wasn't he? Yeah. And, mm-hmm. uh, and just nothing since then. And he was it, out of it, shape when he arrived too. I remember that. Yeah, it was it was a whole debacle of just getting him cleared for if it was a grades thing or whatever it might have been. It was this whole thing of actually getting him to campus, getting him on the team. We call it fall practice. Pruitt pretty much had to, I think, start every press conference with a JJ Peterson non <laughs> non update. Really, like, no, I don't have anything. There, there really was like a JJ Peterson watch every single day. I was still doing Swain, Swain event at at that point. And there was, I think, every day somebody calling like, hey, where's J.J. Peterson at? And we just had to be like, uh, I don't know, at home or <laughs> like taking an SAT. I'm not really sure. Um, but but uh, him, and- uh, Crouch and and Roman Harrison or two mm-hmm. that, that it could really yes. step up. Right. And Roman Harrison is really interesting because he, he was just a three-star kid coming in, if I remember correctly, but he... There was a lot of talk about his upside and and potentially what he could be because he just looks like, you know, outside looking in, looks like a real physical freak. And it would be great to just get another guy back there that could fly all over the field. They really just need some depth at the position. I mean, that's the biggest thing. That killed them at times this year. No depth at all. Mm-hmm. And it, it, any of that will help, and losing Daniel Patuli doesn't help too much, and he was such a great team team leader. But you do uh, other guys, Solon Page, he's another one, sort of like you've kind of thought, well, where where has he been? Why isn't he playing as much as he probably could? Um, yeah, Bryson Eason could come in as a freshman maybe from Memphis, mm-hmm. and you know that, that that he could maybe have an impact. We, we've seen that Pruitt's not afraid to play – true freshman on the defensive side of the ball no he he definitely is not and the the defensive line might be another place where he has to do something like that when you when you look at at how exactly that stacks up when you lose Darrell Taylor who I guess technically he's he's an outside linebacker um but obviously played on the defensive line defensive end um but uh, the interior lineman there uh, you're losing Emmett Gooden. You have uh, Aubrey Solomon is coming back, although he was. Were you surprised by how much Aubrey Solomon didn't show through this past season? Not really, because I, I mean, I, I remember all the excitement about him, and I think it was just because he was transferring from Michigan, but he didn't really do much there either. So I don't know why. You know, he was expected to suddenly come to Tennessee and be extremely productive. I mean, I, I thought that was a more of a, a depth move anyway because they didn't have much depth. So I, I wasn't expecting anything huge out of him anyway. So, I mean, I expected a little more than that, but uh, it wasn't too disappointing. Yeah, and, and you do have guys like Greg, Greg Emerson and another one. He had a lot of hype coming in, just haven't seen 
much from him. Uh, uh, Matthew Butler is another one where I think maybe you could get some, but the the one the one that I look at that. If you were paying attention, he's not a, a sleeper candidate. If if you were really watching the defensive line last year, but I think Darrell Middleton, he could be a, a real yeah. game game changer coming up there. There was obviously a clip of him that went viral from the Alabama game where he just destroyed uh, one of the guys on Alabama's offensive line, got into the backfield. Um, he is, I guess he will be a senior coming yeah. up because he was a Juco guy. But he, yeah, he was a destroyer of worlds at some at certain points this last season. And hopefully, hopefully he can become that dude. Obviously, he will kind of be one of the the old heads on, on that line, if that's what you want to call him. One of the seniors uh lining up down there. And and so hopefully he can wreck shop. That would be nice. And because defensive line, it's it's gonna need some help. It it's not the the best setup possible. Uh and and I don't know if Jeremy Pruitt really will see if he recruited as well as he maybe wanted to at the defensive I mean, line. Omari Thomas is the really the, I mean, that's the, that's, that's the one that he landed. And then other mm-hmm. than that, you're just, you got some guys that are kind of more rushing defensive ends, linebackers types. Yeah. Thomas is really the, the main one. Well, and hopefully he comes through and cause Pruitt has had, Plenty of success with young guys so far, and maybe uh, he can do the same with Thomas. But going on to uh, the defensive backs, which is sort of the the last position that we haven't covered here. Some of your your older guys will be Alante Taylor, who he, he flashed at certain points this past season. Sean Schamberger definitely had uh, his moments. Jalen McCullough, who will just be a sophomore, but looked pretty good. Uh, it, Losing, losing your Nigel Warriors. Uh, who, who else is coming back? You're losing Bill Buchanan. Eh, Trayvon Flowers, of course, coming back. Um, I like Flowers. I and, thought I thought Flowers played well as a, a true freshman. He did. That was a big loss yeah, last uh, year. It was, and the the defensive backs. I I'll say this. I I trust Pruitt. That's his position. If anybody can coach up those defensive backs, it's it's Pruitt, and he got some really good plays out of out of some guys that you know probably you didn't think were going to be as as good. Um, Theo Theo Jackson coming back, a guy who early on in his career, I remember, you know, people thought he was going to be good, but he hasn't been as emergent as you might have hoped. And then Bryce Thompson, he. He should be uh, a guy that other guys are, are looking to. Hopefully not, maybe not his actions off the field, but on the field. Uh, he, he, you know, he, he just kind of turned into uh, a, a real difference maker at times, and hopefully that trajectory continues. I'm excited about Keyshawn Lawrence coming in as a, as a freshman. I'm, it's the first time Pruitt's really going to have an elite defensive back at Tennessee to work with. I mean, he's the highest, he's higher rated than Harrison Bailey in the recruiting rankings by really 24 seven sports composite. And he's a 0.964. Bailey was a 0.955. So that's the highest rated actual recruit in Tennessee's 2020 class. I mean, and I think, I feel like he's kind of went under the radar. I mean, he's a borderline five-star guy. That's just kind of, kind of went under the radar. Yeah, the the number six safety in in America and the number one player coming out of Tennessee, according to two four seven Sports. I even I yeah even I we talked about recruiting for the entire episode last week, and I had overlooked just how highly rated he he actually is. That that is exciting, and as I already mentioned, that's that's Pruitt's baby, <laughs> and he at at any given practice, that's generally speaking where you will find. Uh, Pruitt is is working with the the defensive backs, and so it could be linebackers a little more this year with uh yeah potentially position coach yeah mm-hmm. yeah might have to to lord over Niedermeyer <laughs> make sure that he does the right things but all in all I I certainly don't look at Tennessee's roster and I say oof this is set up to be a powerhouse 
because the most important position to to me it is still just a total toss up. Is it going to be Jared Carantano? Is it going to be Harrison Bailey? Can Jared really step up and finally be the guy? There is nothing more that I want for this team than for Jared to just to just be it. But is it is it too late? Is it, it almost feels like if you're not at there at this point after three years, are you ever going to get there? I mean, I don't think he's ever going to be, you know, an elite great quarterback, but I do think we could still t- see him take a step forward. I mean, he's going to be frustrating at times. He's not going to be, he's not going to be what Harrison Bailey is supposed to be. He's not going to be Joe Burrow suddenly next season. But, you know, he's in an offensive system for the second straight year. He's still got ta- the arm talent. You know, maybe he does take a step forward. Maybe there's a reason he came back to Tennessee. He could have easily walked out the door and went Rutgers somewhere and played. But he, you know, I, I respect him for-, for deciding to come back to Tennessee after everything that happened last year. I really did not expect him to come back. So yeah. he's got some motivation, I think. He definitely does. He apps. He should have all the motivation in the world, if for no other reason than than the reactions to almost everything that he says on Twitter. And, and I honest, I honestly feel bad for the guy because I see anything that he says on social media, and specifically on on Twitter. That's where people don't, you know, they don't care as much. <laughs> about what they say on there for whatever reason you know he'll say so excited about next year post a picture of something or other you know i saw he posted some sort of promo picture for next year or something last week and it's just it's a bunch of people in in the comments saying man i hope it's harrison bailey let's you know I think they they want the upside of harrison bailey and i get it you don't have the upside with garantano but you know, I think Harrison Bailey can be really good. You know, he has the potential to be a transcendent quarterback, but he also has the potential to be a bust because we just have no idea yet. With Garantano, you've at least got some experience. You know, people hate to admit it, but you know, Tennessee's not eight and five last year without him. They're they're nowhere close to eight and five without him. It's that's true. And and I I'll be the first to admit when Jeremy Pruitt said things. So at after the the Alabama game and and what Jarrett did at the goal line and all that stuff. I mean, I I'll admit I was I was saying get this kid in the transfer portal yesterday, ship him on out of Knoxville. He doesn't need to play another snap here. You know, I I was in that that same camp. I certainly uh, wasn't in his corner either by any means. Yeah. I don't think many people were. No, I, I don't know how, how you could be. And Jeremy Pruitt went after that game, and I believe his his phrasing was something like, Jarrett will win us more games this season or something like that. And I went, what? <laughs> what is this guy talking about? Get the, get this guy out of town, too, if this is what he's saying. you know. And, and hey, I was proven wrong. Jarrett went on. And uh, with, with the help of... Technically, uh, what, three other quarterbacks. <laughs> he, yeah. he did help Tennessee win other games. I mean, he, he was the main catalyst in, in a few of them at the same Pruitt, time. I think Pruitt just knew how far off Maurer and Shrout were. Yeah. I, I, he knew they weren't ready. And, you know, we the backup quarterback is always ready to me when, when the starter's mm-hmm. not playing well. The, the number two guy's going to save the day. There's no doubt in my mind. But, you know, that's not well, usually they, how it works out. There were certain points in in the season where I I will defend myself even, uh, where I I said on social media or wherever just the the backup can't be much worse, right? Yeah, I felt like the it same. got it, it got to that point with Jared, and and it turned out. I mean, honestly, you know, Jared would throw two interceptions. Mauer comes in and throws one, and you're like, well, it's not much worse, <laughs> right? You know, Mauer would come in and score some points. You know, he'd, he'd get them to a field goal, and it felt like an accomplishment. So the bar yeah. wasn't high there at one point. No, and because yeah, you you can say, hey, Jared won you all these these different games. He he is the reason that that 
or one one of the main reasons Tennessee had that nice comeback against Indiana to close out the season, yada yada. Well, he's also one of the main reasons that Tennessee was only eight and five this season. You, you can kind of flip it both ways. Oh yeah, you could say like t- Tennessee did not have a guy who was better than him, but if they did, they would be better. And there are a lot of guys who are better than than oh, Jared yeah. Guerin. A, a, a better quarterback, and Tennessee is is ten and three last year, mm-hmm. no doubt in my mind. With a really good quarterback, they might have even been eleven and two because they, the, you know, outside the of the other games they lost, the closest one was the Alabama game, really, and that's Ugh. just Tua. That's just Tua was hurt. I mean, let's be honest, but still, they Ugh. they had a better chance in that than they did Georgia and Florida. Just just thinking that that, and it really is realistic. I mean, you you are talking if Jarrett doesn't pull that stun at the goal line, Tennessee is down by six points. In the fourth quarter, seven, seven or six. I don't know if they were down. It would have put them down a full uh, touchdown. Um, I have to go back and look. Um, and you would have been right there on on the doorstep. And who knows how much better that game would have gone if Jared isn't your your quarterback. Although he played relatively well for the other part of that game. But just that that is the that's the tough discussion. There is where do you go with with the quarterback? Because uh, you never I think know, it sometimes. has to be an open competition. Please, this, it does. This, and and Bailey is on campus now. He's going to go through spring. He has a legit chance to unseat him, but he's going to have to play perfect to do it. But it, at least give him a chance. I hope they don't anoint Garrett Tano as the guy and just go into the game against Charlotte. Because if Bailey is the guy, he needs to play against Charlotte before they play Oklahoma. He needs to start against Charlotte and get that under his belt before going to Norman and, and, and entering that arena. And if you can learn any any lesson about the the potential of, of certain quarterbacks, I mean, I can say from an example of my own fandom this past season, I thought surely there's no way that Ryan Tannehill, Ryan Tannehill might be as good as Marcus Mariota if he comes in and you brought him in and it just changed the way the team played with, with Ryan Tannehill. It just, the, the mentality of the entire offense flipped and suddenly the Titans had one of the best offenses in the league. I'm not saying that Harrison Bailey is going to do that, but I don't want to see this mentality out, out of the coaching staff. Just like, well, he's the only guy that we got. We don't know. You know, some, some guys, when the lights come on, that's just their thing. I, you always heard that about Dobbs actually. With Josh oh, yeah. Dobbs, you always you always heard like, oh well, he doesn't practice that well. We don't and, and this and that out of Butch. Well, uh, he didn't just, practice that well. I mean, I remember watching, he didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah we were there. <laughs> uh, and and but yeah, when the lights came on, just some guys are gamers, and and that's yeah, just the same way that Nathan Peterman practiced extremely well, and we saw what happened oh. in games. <laughs> yeah, oh, poor poor Peterman, uh, but ultimately yeah i think the season really does come down to that that quarterback position and it's really if if any year is set up to have a a young quarterback be able to play it's a year when you're going to have a mountain of an offensive line like tennessee is this year i i would put it that way i mean if you're going to have an offensive line that is as dynamic as this one should should be uh that's when I would want to try out a young QB and maybe I'm just, I, I definitely have bias because I would like to see some fresh blood in that position. Admittedly, I'm sorry well, to, to Jared and his family, but it works to Bailey's favor. I mean, he's, he's known as a pocket passer. I know, yeah. I know they, that was part of the reason he wasn't a five-star initially and rivals moved him up because he improved his mobility, but he's a pocket passer and this offensive line is going to be set up to protect him. So, I mean, it, and all these people saying they want a red shirt, Bailey, that I see that a lot and I don't understand it because if Bailey is what you want him to be, that red shirt is not going to matter at all. In fact, you could lose a year of him if he's what you want him to be. Yeah. I, that That's never made a, a ton of sense to me where it's like, we may have the better guy back here, but we want him to be able to play. No, if he's going to make your team better right now, play this kid. <laughs> College football is is fleeting anyway, Uh, just just in a general sense. No matter what you lose them. 
Yeah, if you think Harrison Bailey is is the savior and is a, a transcendent quarterback, he's not going to be a fifth year redshirt senior playing at Tennessee. That's just not yeah. going to happen. And just the 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 overall impatience of college football uh, and the general Especially nature of it, guys. Yeah, guys getting fired in two years from poor results. I mean, you got to put the, the best guys out there. Just look look no further than like. Rick Barnes with, with Santiago Vescovi and, and Uros Plavsic. Obviously, Uros hasn't turned out at, as well, but Rick was just in a, dis, in a position where it was kind of like sink this whole season or give these guys a, a chance, and he, you know, he's let them both play. And, and so, and I think ultimately that probably was the right decision. He's just trying to put the best team out there on the floor. Just put the best team out there. And, may, hey, if Jared is the guy, then he's the guy, whatever. You know, you got to just... The, the coaches see of all of every practice way more than the media does even. And it is what it is, but who, who knows? Just think, just think we'll if see. they would have redshirted Dobbs in 2013, Butch Jones would probably, probably made it through the 2017 season and who knows mm-hmm. where we're at then. <laughs> so uh, I mean, this it's, past season sucking or 28 sucking, I guess. 2018. Yeah, it, it just, yeah, I agree. You just play the guys that are going to give you the best chance to win. The rest will work itself out. You're always turning over the roster anyway. It's it's no different than any other year. Well, and and speaking of turning over the roster, that's as good of a, a transition as I can do here. Um, it's a good discussion. Good discussion of the returning talent of the Tennessee. Um, but there there's been a lot of talk lately about this NCAA transfer rule. There, there was some updates this week because of a tweet by Mark Richt, of all people, uh, about the NCAA weighing, uh, letting players have one chance in college where they can transfer without penalty uh, at all. They don't have to wait a year. They can just leave and go and transfer. And there's a lot of coaches that are against it, like Mark Richt. And there are some coaches that are for it, like Jim Harbaugh. Rick said of that idea uh, on Twitter, he said, I have an idea. You recruit and develop players, and when I think they're good enough, I will poach them from your roster. Welcome to what the new normal will look like in college football. What say you about that, Zach? I mean, I think he's totally wrong because, I mean, the most basic argument for this is the fact that coaches can do as they please they can walk away at any time you know before signing day after signing day in february like the michigan state coach did and then that mel tucker leaves i mean you to take that job and then players just get stuck there all those players that signed with colorado after the late national signing day i mean they you know now they got a coach or i don't know if they've hired anybody yet or not but they you know they don't know who they're gonna play for next year they didn't that guy didn't recruit them so it doesn't yeah i think they should let it happen i don't i don't i can see some potential downsides and i can see kind of what he's saying and and why he feels that way and i think there'd have to be some safeguards put in place just like there is with with recruiting kind of like tampering rules in the nfl you're not calling kids on other campuses or that are haven't been released and this and that but yeah, they should be able to transfer. They pretty much are with the waiver process at this point. It's just dragging the NCAA into it, and we're all having to watch every day to see if a player's been granted his waiver. Yeah, to, to me, coaches whining about this is just BS of the, the highest order. It's a giant double standard. It's incredible hypocrisy. Uh, you know, Mark, Mark Richt, if he was still coaching, you know, if he wanted to leave Georgia, if he wanted to leave Miami, he could leave tomorrow, the second that he felt the whim of just like, oh, well, maybe they'll pay me more at Florida State. You can just leave and go because Florida State will pay you more because that's your market value and you and can go do and that. they'll probably pay your buyout from yeah. wherever you're leaving. It's it's absolute garbage uh, to to me. And this, this thought from all these coaches where they throw out, oh, it'll just be free agency then. And so... So so what? And and I honestly, I think that's really overblown personally, because uh, you just look at that. That's just assuming that every good player you have is going to want to jump ship the second 
that they realize their talent are just like, oh, well, I'm good. I'm going to go play for Alabama. Well, Alabama only has so many spots open. They're going to recruit their own kids, and kids are going to want to stay at Alabama because Alabama's good. You know, Clemson only has so many spots open for people to jump to. That's the that's such a strange theoretical situation that they're thinking of. of just like every good player will jump from any team that's only marginally good. It's uh, almost like know, they're looking at it like they're just names on a on a on a list with yeah. stats beside them. Like they're kids, they they play at these colleges, they build relationships beyond football, beyond the coaching staff. I mean, it becomes home for them for several years becomes a part of who they are like not every kid you know some kids transfer and it's a hard decision for them some of them do it because they've graduated they have their degree they have a year of eligibility remaining and they want to go play somewhere I mean it's not like you said it's not just I'm good I'm getting out of you know Troy University or wherever I've signed with to go somewhere else I mean I'm sure there will be some of that of course but it won't be just this frenzy like the NFL is every March. I, I think the the worst case scenario is this. You have kids who aren't getting playing time, and they say, hey, I'm going I'm to peace out to, to me. I don't think it will be to a better program. I think it will be to a lesser program, unless they're coming from Alabama and they're a five-star Which, who can't, hey, who to can't that get point, playing time behind other five-stars. To that point, that could actually level the playing field a bit because if you've yeah. got players at Alabama that are never seeing the field but could see the field at – Georgia Tech or wherever, you know, maybe they transfer and find somewhere else because they're not going to be the third string player at Alabama. And, and you, you know, you won't have this nonsense like with uh, with Brandon Kennedy leaving Alabama and where Nick Saban is like flip flopping. Oh, well, he can go to Tennessee or he can't go to Tennessee. And I don't know if I want him to go. But, but, but cut all of that crap out. Every other college student. In America, can go wherever they want. When you know, when you and I were were in college, and if we wanted to go somewhere else, we could have just gone somewhere else. So if I wanted to leave Tennessee, I could have gone to Mississippi it's, State, yeah, and nobody could have ever said otherwise, because you know that's not how it works. And they're just the NCAA always wants to emphasize, oh, well, they're just uh, they're just students. Well, then let them be students. I. That kind of leads me into the whole other thing. They always want to talk about, oh, it's student-athlete, student-athlete first. Well, frankly, you shouldn't have this kind of control over players unless they're an employee because what you're instituting against them by restricting them from where they can go is essentially uh, like a non-compete. Who signs a non-compete? Employees sign a non-compete, but constantly the NCAA says, "Oh, they're not employees; they're they're student athletes." Let's not forget they're they're students first. Shut up! That's the stupidest. I, if you can't tell, I get extremely heated about this stuff. I I hate it. It's so so hypocritical, so nonsensical, absolutely ridiculous. If you want to have these kids under an NDA. You know, or a, not an NDA, a, a non-compete, then make them employees, pay them, put them on the payroll, you know, give them a W-2, and then we could talk about a non-compete. <laughs> That's they're ridiculous. Cer- I mean, there's certainly, it. you know, uh, is, it Clem- is it Clemson, I think, was supposed to play Wyoming, and they had to cancel that game so they could play Georgia next year to open the season. Uh-huh. They're, they're having to pay them $1.1 million to cancel that game. They're paying another store one point one million. They can pay another program one point one million to cancel a game that they have scheduled, but they can't find the money to pay the players. I mean, that's that is the Give. biggest joke ever. Give. And what? Why? No I don't. And people are against it. There's probably people listening against it, but I don't understand why they're against it. They're making a lot of money for these colleges. A lot. I. I at a at a baseline, I get why it makes people uneasy, for sure, because it would be a a fundamental shift in what college football is. It, it would essentially become a uh, it's a, a a amateur league. It's a feeder league at that point. It's essentially like the you know the G League uh, to the NBA at that point. If you're paying guys to play, I I get it, and that that's why I say the easiest place to start. And I don't know how. Literally anyone could disagree with this. And really, you don't see much disagreement with this in general now 
now that it's become a really mainstream thing is is kids making money off of their likeness. And this is obviously coming down the pike. You have states, including yeah. Tennessee, floating this out there that that student athletes are will in the future by state mandate be allowed to profit off of their their likeness. Obviously, it's already been passed in California. I believe it's coming up in Florida very soon. Um, you know, just start there in allowing these kids that, hey, you can sign an autograph for money. You can sell a jersey with your name on the back for money, yada, yada. Uh, just and, that would be a huge be step huge. forward because that kind of helps the whole, like, process of who's paid what. And I know that's going to be a hard – if they ever do pay players, that's going to be a hard thing to decide. How much do you pay? How, who's worth what? Because, it's you know, is everybody paid the same? Yeah, third string guy that barely plays paid the same. The walk on, but you know the likeness thing. You got Joe Burrow would have been making you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars last year, probably probably off his likeness and his customized jersey that he wore on Senior Night. So I yeah. think that that's the first step for sure. Yeah, and, and if I'm to me, it just comes down down to this. I I'm an ardent capitalist and i'm not gonna get polit- political on all of this i i just am i you know I, I went to business school i have a business degree i believe in the the beautiful economic system that the united states has and frankly having guys going out and giving a huge amount of work and effort blood sweat and tears and getting in return uh, a roof over their head but no payment in a, in an industry that makes very literally billions upon billions of dollars is total nonsense and and I don't I, I don't know how, how you could believe in a in a free market system as I hopefully most people do <laughs> in America I don't know you, you do you but I don't know how you you could believe in that system as, as an American citizen and say yeah these guys should not get a cut of this pie that they are making it, but that that's just where i come from but like i said i understand why it makes people uneasy and why they they fight against it i get it i it, it does make sense to me that that point of view but i just at, at this point i i disagree and i feel extremely strongly about it as you can probably tell and i apologize <laughs> for for probably being Going a little too hard in the paint uh, in in this one, um, but uh, that's nonetheless. Did you have any other thoughts? Because we can we can move on to basketball and wrap this thing up. Well, one thing on the transfer thing, I do feel yeah, Tennessee. I think is going to be on the right side of this one time transfer thing. I don't think Pruitt has commented directly on this, but he has said before he's wrote letters for players that transfer from Tennessee, trying to help them gain eligibility immediately. So that kind of tells you where he stands on it. I know there's going to be a lot of coaches out there that are very much against it, but Pruitt, I think, is on the right side of this. I sure hope so. I I, I really do, and because to me, it's really just the difference between being being a good coach and being extremely hypocritical when it comes to that sort of stuff. Is just are, are you going to hold these players to a different standard than yourself? I you think know? Pruitt has proved. With a lot of his actions, I mean, obviously he's about winning. He wants to win more than anything. But he also really does care about the well-being of his players. I mean, you've seen it in the way he recruits. When when kids commit somewhere else, he's happy for them. You saw it after the uh, after Alabama beat Georgia, his his final game coaching there. You know, he's over on the sideline hugging Georgia players that he coached, that he recruited. I mean, he he was emotional. He was doing that before any celebrating. In fact, I don't think I ever did see him celebrate that night. So I, I think he cares a lot about his players. I, I do too. And you, you see that reciprocated from his, his players, he cares about them. And then uh, they, they care about him back just from the things that they've said. He, he definitely gets a lot of love from the guys that he's, he's coached. So hopefully the, that, that is the case. And he ends up kind of on the, I guess the right side of history, so to speak, as far as this whole thing goes, because it, it is, whether anybody likes it or not, it's coming down the pike that this stuff is going uh, to to come to a head with the fact that state legislators are are bringing this up, are making it an issue. It it has to. It frankly it just has to. 
uh, I think it's uh, it's a head-on collision that's that's coming, and whether we like it or not. But uh, that's that's that, and we can. God, I could talk about that for ten days, I think. But uh, nonetheless, we can talk about Tennessee basketball. They went one and one since the last time we spoke. They lost at South Carolina on an absolutely bogus charge call uh, at the end of the game. And then they beat Vandy in what I would call the ugliest win of this season. Uh, just a real sludge fest against Vandy, but a win is a win. But that loss against South Carolina probably all but sinks any tournament hopes Tennessee had. That's that's not a good loss at all. No, it's, it's not. And the win against Vanderbilt honestly makes me feel worse about them and where they're at, even though they won because it was, you know, they had what, like a 10 minute stretch maybe where they played well. And outside of that, and that last two minutes was just dreadful. I've, I've never seen anything quite that bad. Like I was, I really, I really felt like before Bowden hit those free throws, I just, I felt like it was going to be just this gut punch loss. I, I could feel it happening, and I couldn't believe I was seeing it. And then after they won, I was just like, I don't, did they? Did they really win? I mean, it doesn't <laughs> – no part of me felt like that. And it, obviously, Rick Barnes did not feel like they won at all. Yeah, you, you saw after the game, Santiago Vescovi, I believe he said it was the first time that he'd seen Rick Barnes yell at the team after a win. And I was like, son, it won't be the last. No. <laughs> Get, get ready for more of that because <laughs> uh, yeah the Rick does not does not enjoy uh, something like that and, and rightfully so Vandy sucks Vandy's trash they they've won one SEC game in the last two full seasons essentially um, and so that that would have been a, a horrific loss they completely gave up down down the stretch after building a nice I think it's some um, they got up to 13 15 point lead yeah. at one point um and so it, it was just a total meltdown down the stretch but nonetheless you got you got good play out of the guys that you wanted good play out of jordan bowden john fulkerson santiago vesco we all played well eve ponds has been an absolutely lockdown defender but it, it's really at this point it's become a lot about these these kind of ancillary players if if you can just get this consistent 10 10 to 20 points a night out of the, you know, your top four guys. Uh, it comes down to a lot of these, these other guys like Josiah Jordan, James zero points. He did have five, five rebounds before personal fouls, one assist, two turnovers, more turnovers than assists. I mean, that's just, it's not gonna, that's not gonna work. I, if Tennessee wants to be as good as they need to be, uh, to, to be a tournament team this year or going forward, that's just not going to do. Jalen Johnson, four four points, four rebounds, a, a decent game, three assists to one turnover, but it's not enough. It's it's just not the you know Jalen Johnson, Devontae Gaines, they're playing hard. That's not enough. It's just not. And I I feel like Barnes is I have stopped short of saying much about it being on coaching to this point, but I really feel like they're just not. I mean, the individual talent seems to be there with players, but they're not there's just no chemistry at all. It feels like, I mean, at times you see flashes of it and then he's constantly searching for some sort of combination and he has no rotation. It seems like the, the bench, his decisions with who to play every game is different. And I mean, what drew Pember played like 17 seconds or something last <laughs> yep. night. I mean, there's just like no rhyme or reason to what he's, his choices that he's making at all. And it's like, he's, he hasn't found what he likes, obviously, but I mean, you would, th you'd think, I know they've been through a lot this year with the way the rosters kind of took shape and changed, but you know, you thought it would come together by now. You, you would think, but there is just not, there's not a go to set of guys, even, even as good as, as John Fulkerson has, has played this year, as good as Santiago Vescovi has, has been, He's been extremely inconsistent, but as good as Jordan Bowden can be, there is not a guy, and there's not going to be a guy on this team that you look at and you say, okay, there's 30 seconds left. We're down by one point. Who's getting the ball? 
Yeah. Who's and, getting the ball in, in that situation? Seriously. I mean, it's it's Fulkerson, I think, probably. And it shouldn't not, have to be him. Like, Fulkerson, I think, is doing what yeah, I don't think you should be expecting a lot more. Like, I don't, I don't put it on him like that he's not that guy. I don't. No. I don't think he should be the guy. They just don't have yeah. it. They they just don't. There there is no Grant Williams. There is no Admiral Schofield. There is not a a guy who's going to go out there and you say you take this basketball, you go win us this basketball game. <laughs> and and I I do think in in the future it seems like. Uh, Vescovi should be that guy in the future. He has hit some really clutch shots for Tennessee in, in certain games. This one, this one in particular, he had a, he had a couple, they weren't clutch, I would say, but they were well-timed where Tennessee needed to create some separation and he put the ball in the basket when he needed to get there. Um, but I think he'll, I think he'll become more polished. He'll, you still see he's kind of up and down. He, he turned the ball over a little more against Vanderbilt than he, than he had been lately. Yeah, you know, I think yeah, the sky's the limit for him. But he, you know, he's still, you know, he hasn't. He just have, he's a, he just doesn't have the experience yet. Yeah, it'll get there. It'll get there with him. And I think you do. You do think about next year. You basically have everybody returning except Jordan Bowden, and unless there is some some transferring, some movement there, and Tennessee should be considerably better, but. You're depending on freshmen to get oh, yeah. a lot better, because uh, you're. I think what is most concerning out of this is you've seen Rick Barnes in in the past. You've seen Rick Barnes really bring guys up who you were kind of like, really, that's that's gonna be the the guy now that he's he's so good, you know. And he he has done that with a few guys. Eve Pond has gotten considerably better. Obviously, John Fulkerson, I think, is probably playing above his his pay grade. But they are not good enough to carry this team. No. Those guys are not. And and I do think I do think in the future Vescovi will be that good. He will be that good of a player where he can carry this team to to a lot of victories. Um, in similarly to the to the level that that Grant and Admiral did. But Grant and Admiral, I mean, you just had two guys who were essentially all Americans, all SEC, leading leading the team. And you don't have anybody even close to that this year. And I I think you look at some of the guys that could be stepping up and they're just not. And that that's where I look to Barnes and I say, why is Josiah James not playing better? Why? Is where, it the where injury? Is, I mean, is it affecting yeah. me more than we realize? I mean, that's what maybe. I'm. Yeah, maybe. It's the only really, only played 13 minutes against Vandy. But it's. It's that sort of stuff. Why? Why isn't James playing better? Why isn't Jalen Johnson? He he is playing better than he has in the rest of his career, but he's still not playing, you know, incredibly well. He's not a, he's not a star. He's not emerging as like oh Jalen Johnson's a go to guy now. Devontae Gaines playing really hard, but still he's just not he's not producing at a at a huge level, like maybe Grant Grant Williams was as a as a literally a freshman. I mean, Grant was ridiculously good as a freshman. Uh, that, that's a tough comparison. But just, you saw incredible strides out of those guys where you're not seeing strides out of, out of some of these role players that you would really hope you would be at, at this point. Jalen Johnson's a junior. Where are the strides? Come on. Well, that's, if, if Tennessee does not, and this might be premature, but if Tennessee doesn't take a big step forward next year, and even though it's a lot of freshmen, I think you'll start to hear more and more questions and and mentioning of you know was it Grant Williams and and Schofield and and Bone that really deserved the credit you know or you know it wasn't so much Rick Barnes it was the talent that he had type thing it was they were more talented than anybody realized or yeah I'm not I, saying that's where we're at but we're not far I mean, from it yeah and and hopefully the the freshmen coming in you got a couple of all of high school all Americans coming in and. Hopefully they'll flip it around, but we're we're going long. Uh, that's that's pretty much gonna be it for another edition of uh, the Big Orange Podcast. A to Z Sports Big Orange Podcast. Zach, any any parting thoughts before we say farewell for another week? I think I feel confident in saying that the NCAA tournament hopes for Tennessee are dead. There is no there is no barely alive. It's Very Auburn, Arkansas, Florida, 
Kentucky Auburn. It's just not going to happen. I'm sorry. It's over. I mean, I, I can say this. If they win out, they're getting in. If they win out, they're in the tournament. Yeah, that's Are fair. they going to win out? No. Well, well, <laughs> they're not. Minus, minus a miraculous run in the SEC tournament, which is also not happening. So, Yeah, that that is always a, a possibility, but I highly, highly, highly doubt it uh, with just the way this team's played is what it is, and there you go. But that's, uh, that's it for us. I am Charlie Burris. That is Zach Reagan. We hope that you enjoyed it again at Charlie underscore Burris on Twitter at Zach TNT at A to Z sports on Twitter and Instagram, facebook.com slash A to Z sports Nashville. And if you like the show rate review, subscribe, the, I think that's pretty much it over on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, anywhere and everywhere you get your podcasts, the A to Z sports podcast feed follows there to get every single episode. And, uh, I think that's that's all the homework that i have to do there to end the show so that's it for another week thanks so much for listening and we'll talk to you next thursday see you guys later Go out.